Well, it's been a minute. It's good to see you all. And I give thanks to God for every uh, message that the Lord provided over the summer while I was away. Please turn in your bulletins or Bibles to Psalm 150 as we end our series uh, in the Psalms. So one of our sabbatical highlights uh, as a family this summer was visiting Yosemite National Park. Anyone visit Yosemite National Park in in Northern California before? Uh, One of the first things that we noticed as we drove our car into the park was the incredibly huge mountains. These were uh, some of the largest mountains we had ever seen in our entire life. Uh, One of the ones that caught our eye was uh, the Yosemite Falls, which stands 5,000 feet into the air And from the very top of Yosemite Falls, there's a waterfall coming down, and it actually reaches all the way down to the ground level and creates a river at the bottom. But there was also El Capitan and Half Dome and other Apple update names. (laughs) Now, when we saw these mountains, we didn't have to tell our kids, now kids, we're here at Yosemite, and this is very special. You should want to hike to the top of Yosemite Falls. It was in fact the very opposite. It was our kids begging us like, when can we go up there? We wanna be up there, when can we go? And don't keep us back. And so um, on the morning of the hike, they were the ones hurrying us like, get on your shoes, we we wanna go on our hike because why? The mountains were so compelling, they were so beautiful, they were so majestic that we naturally wanted to climb to the top. We wanted to be up there even if Um, It took a while. Now, Psalm 150 describes the mountain peak of human existence, which is praising God with everything that we have in complete self-abandonment. The Westminster Catechism begins with this question, what is the chief end of men and women? And the answer is, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We were made to climb to the mountaintop into the presence of God and bring our best and highest offering of worship to him. Now, one of the most appealing and appalling uh, features of a mountain is its height. The heights in Yosemite were 8,000 feet in the air. Um, Other mountains, maybe some of which you've climbed or heard of others climbing are 14,000 feet in the air, the, 14, the 14ers, as they call them. The higher the mountain, the more beautiful, right? The, the stronger the appeal to look upon them or maybe even climb to the top. Um, verse one of Psalm 150 describes the physical and spiritual heights of praise. When the psalmist says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. Now, the sanctuary here is a earthly, holy place, the temple in Jerusalem, which was literally on a mountain. Um, This temple was God's dwelling place. He actually went there, dwelled there by his spirit. You could go there to have your sins forgiven. You could go there to pray. It was called a house of prayer for all nations. And you could go there to express your devotion by bringing an offering into his presence. The mighty heavens, on the other hand, at the end of verse 1, describe God's heavenly court. So you have an earthly court, but then you have the heavenly court. Higher up 
than your eyes could see, above the very firmament of the sky. Now in the mighty heavens, God holds court, and the angels encircle his throne, and he rules over all of heaven and earth, and that's where the center of praise happens. So verse 1, what is it doing? It's lifting up our eyes up into the height of God's presence in heaven and on earth. Uh, Bible scholar N.T. Wright helps us understand the mystery of verse 1 when he says this, Heaven and earth overlap and interlock, and we humans are called to stand at the dangerous place where that happens. Isn't that beautiful? I'll read that quote again, and as I do, I want you to imagine yourself at the top of the highest mountain on earth, echoing the angels in praise of God. Heaven and earth overlap and interlock, and we humans are called to stand at the dangerous place where that happens. So in Christian liturgy, the priest calls out, lift up your hearts, and everyone responds what? We lift them up to the Lord, yes. And when we do, we, we're, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are brought up into the mountaintop of God's heavenly court, joining the angels and saints, singing together their song, which is described in Revelation, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. We put Psalm 150, verse 1, into practice every Sunday when we gather around the altar. And we approach God's throne with confidence because of Christ's sacrifice for us, his forgiveness of our sins. God's throne sits atop the dangerous, breathtaking, heavenly peak of reality. And by grace, we go up to that heavenly peak when we gather together. Now, if you've ever been on a hike and you reach um, the top, usually you want to mark the occasion, some kind of celebration at the top. Maybe uh, it's planting a flag or building a little like stone tower um, or marking your initials into the boulder at the top or, or sharing, uh, you know, getting a, a selfie, being careful not to fall over the edge, um, but you want to mark the moment somehow and share it with the world. It's just some kind of celebration like, yes, we did it, we, we made it, and we achieved something great. But on the mountain peak of praise, we actually are celebrating God's achievement and God's greatness. We're taking a moment to mark what he has done in history. Look with me in verse two. The psalmist says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. You see, the pinnacle of history is God's mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. You know, he fathered us into existence in creation. And then he saved us from death through his son, Jesus. He gave us his Holy Spirit to resurrect us, body and soul, and he crowned us with honor and blessing. This was all an act of grace. This was all an act of greatness. So have you experienced this yourself? Have you experienced God's personal goodness to you? Something where he was over the top with his generosity and kindness to you. Was there ever a time when God showed mercy and patience with you? Was there ever a time when he surprised you by answering a prayer far and above what you could have asked him? Well, it's an opportunity for all of us to mark that occasion of God's overwhelming goodness his overwhelming kindness, his overwhelming greatness by bringing a gift 
of praise to the altar of God and saying, great are you, Lord, and to actually build an altar for him, to mark the day for him. The, the moment we have on this mountain peak is an eternal moment. Because at the end of history, when God calls us to be with him forever, and there's no separation at all, the beauty of God's love and holiness and history of saving us will unfold before our eyes forever and ever, and it will be eternally majestic and beautiful and compelling. We will worship him at the top. He will be the center, and rightly so. So that's the mountain peak and who we celebrate. But what do we bring up the mountain? When we come to praise God, we bring something with us to celebrate and mark the moment. And the psalmist calls for seven instruments to be brought up the mountain and praise to God with. Starting in verse 3 um, through verse 5, uh, the psalmist calls for a trumpet, which is a, it's a shofar, it's a ram's horn. Um, and this was played at the giving of the law when people trembled because of the presence of God's holiness. He also calls for a lute and a harp, both of which are like a handheld stringed instrument. He calls for tambourine and dance. And you might remember Miriam, Moses' uh, sister, playing the tambourine and dancing after the deliverance from the Red Sea. He also calls for strings and pipe to be played, which um, were featured in the worship, of the te- uh, worship at the temple, worship of God. And then finally, percussion instruments, cymbals played at two different volumes, sounding and clashing. So can you hear the, the psalmist urge us to break out these instruments and worship God with them. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. And on and on he goes. If we play it, we better play it for the Lord. I recently, uh, toward the end of our time away, I went over to a friend's house for dinner. And he had a number of other guests with him as well. As we ate in his backyard, it came up, somehow we found out that his family, the family that was hosting us for dinner, had formed a bluegrass band. So my friend, uh, his name's Travis, he plays the bass. His wife sings and plays guitar. Their oldest son plays the mandolin, his daughter the fiddle, his other son the dobro, and his youngest son plays the broom banjo, which is just a broom that he plays like a banjo. It's the cutest thing in the world. Now, when we found out that our hosts were also a bluegrass band, we were like, play us some music, break out the instruments. And they were, you know, they demurred like, we're rusty. You know, we haven't haven't been practicing as much as we need to and everything else, but we, we downright demanded, play us bluegrass after dinner. And so they finally did uh, uh, dust off their instruments, most of them, and They played Amazing Grace and Blue Ridge Mountain Home and just a closer walk. It was a transcendent moment in their living room as we listened to them. Just beautiful to see the family talent on display through the generations, as well as the hours and the years of practice honing the skills. As some of you who play an instrument know that uh, to learn an instrument, you really have to, to master it, to come under it. And they had done that, and they had done that together. And... And so just savoring that together was a sweet moment for all of us. So the psalmist is like the dinner guests, pleading with all of us. We're like the hosts. 
And the psalmist is saying, no, look, I know that you play. And so you'd better play. You can play, so you'd better play for the Lord. You've got talents, and you're in the presence of God. So if you play it, you'd better play it. You have skills and gifts to give and a harmonizing beauty to bring to the altar of God. Now, some of us are musical, and some of us talents beyond music. Whether team building or headhunting, instilling values or installing windows, painting or play therapy, comedy, coding or cooking, networking or woodworking, writing briefs or raising kids, filmmaking or finance, interventions or aviation, treating cancer or tuning pianos, leadership, lute playing. What talents do you have? You have talents. And the Lord wants to draw it out of you for you to not be shy, for you to not be withholding, but to actually offer it to him as an offering of praise. No matter your offering, no matter your skill, use it for the sake of others and praise the Lord with it. Praise the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength and with everything you have. Praise the Lord. Love him with your strength. Give him the absolute best that you have. Now, how does this work? We praise God musically and liturgically as his gathered people on Sundays, don't we? And this is the place where we remember that all of our life and all of our uh, labor is offered to God in worship. But our worship flows into the rest of the week when we exercise our talents and time and heart. Now, when we do that for the Lord's sake, there's depth and power to our work. When we worship God with our work, when on Monday we're like, I'm still worshiping God. I'm still worshiping with him with everything I have. And there's a part of us that is tempted, right? Because it's vulnerable to do that. It's vulnerable to use our gifts to really exercise everything we have to pour everything out in this life, to love others and to worship God. We're tempted to withhold. And so um, Psalm 50, Psalm 150 is great for drawing us out to call us to give ourselves, abandon ourselves in praise to God as we love our neighbor with our talents and gifts and skills. Um, N.T. Wright says again this, God made a beautiful world, he says, which still resonates with his love and power. And in Jesus Christ, God has done the most beautiful thing imaginable. So we must make sure that we are working to foster and celebrate art, music, dance, drama, poetry, and sculpture. The Christian life of prayer and sacrament draws together all vocations and gives them new depth and focus as we stand at the place where heaven and earth meet. The day finally came for our family to hike up Yosemite Falls, which had been calling out to us since we arrived at Yosemite National Park. And we split up into pairs so that we could sort of go at our own pace. And Mona and I formed a pair, my youngest daughter, Mona, who's nine years old. And for both of us, it was a pretty tough hike, actually. The first part of the hike is arguably the hardest part. The sun was hot, our legs were tired, and the stones were loose. At one point, uh, Mona even rolled her ankle. And uh, we, we, we were also, we were like sharing a trail. It was a narrow trail, and there were lots of people there. And so we were navigating that. So for, for hours, in fact, we were back and forth climbing up a switchback trail, which seemed like it would never end. And people encouraged us as we got closer, like, keep going, 
you're doing great. You're not far from Columbia Rock, which was a stopping point with an incredible view. And um, so we kept going. We kept climbing. We thought we would never get there, but we, we finally reached the milestone. And when we reached the milestone, our pain and our exhaustion turned to joy. And our fellow hikers were right. The view was breathtaking. The breeze was refreshing. It was all worth it. We grabbed a selfie and we were beaming with joy and we went back down. Now, if Psalm 150 is the mountain peak of praise, Psalms 1 through 149 is the switchback trail where we struggle and sweat. The path up the mountain to Psalm 150, the path up the mountain to praise cuts through ravines and precipices, loose stones and growling lions, the strong bulls of Bashan and the valley of the shadow of death. It's on that path where we learn how to cry out to God, don't we? It's on that path where we learn how to lament and to praise and to grieve. It's on that path where we master the instruments that we will eventually play at the top. And it is interesting that Psalm 137 makes reference to the harp, which is the same instrument mentioned in verse three of our text. Same Hebrew word, same instrument. But in Psalm 137, in that context, the harp is not played as joyful worship to the Lord. Instead, the harp is hung up on a tree because the musician is in deep despair. And the musician says this, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down there and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our harps. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The people of Israel were in such deep despair that they could no longer bring themselves to play this joyful instrument in praise to God. So all they could do is hang up the harp on the tree and sit down by the waters and weep. And that was all they could bring to the Lord. Now look, the path up the mountain of praise includes so many moments of struggle. All you can do to praise the Lord is hang up your harp by the tree on the tree, and weep by the waters. Now, some of you are in a moment like that. You're you're displaced. Something is out of joint. You're suffering. You're waiting on God. And on my heart this week, and I've been praying for you this week, are all of those who are walking with a family member through a hard season. One of your kids, your mom, your dad, your spouse, your siblings, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin. Some are facing unimaginable news, and others are in a bad spot, and you're walking with them, and you're praying for them, and you can't fix their problem even though you wish you could, and it is so hard to pray right now in your life. You're walking with someone through the valley of the shadow of death. So if that describes you, may Psalm 150 give all of us hope that our prayers will one day turn to praise. Eugene Peterson said it best, the end of prayer is praise. The end of lament is praise. The end of grief 
is praise. The end of tears is praise. Psalm 137, weeping, will one day become Psalm 150, rejoicing. And so right now, all we can do is hang up our harps. But one day, in Jesus' name, I promise you, you will pick up that harp again and you will praise God with it. So don't give up. Don't lose heart. It's just a while longer before we reach the top together, my brothers and sisters. So this morning, we look up at the mountain peak of praise, not in despair, but in hope. That is where we are headed. Um, this week, I was listening to the music of uh, violinist Rachel Barton Pine, playing the finest version of Vivaldi I've, I think I've ever heard in my life. I was reading up on her life, and uh, it's been filled with a lot of highs and lows. She grew up as a child prodigy. In fact, she was a, a featured violinist at the age of 10 in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. But she also grew up in poverty. Her father was unemployed most of her life, and that was extremely stressful for her. Um, she, uh, as her star was rising, um, she was actually in a train accident in the northern suburbs of Chicago. And uh, in that train accident, one of her legs was severed, the other was mangled, and she nearly lost her life were it not for strangers that jumped off the train and formed a tourniquet and saved her life through it. So two years later, she was playing the violin again and uh, pouring all of her passion, all of her joy, all of her pain into her work, and you can hear it when you listen to her play the violin. Her work is suffused with power, um, the tragedy and the triumph, the highs and the lows. Now, can you imagine all of God's people, past, present, and future, following in the footsteps of Rachel Barton Pine, and at the end of history, bringing the best of our human culture, the depths of our experiences, the height of our joys, and the gold of our suffering, into adoration of the living God as we surround the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lamb who was slain, bringing him the best of our offerings and the best of our praise. It suffused with the highs and the lows, the Psalm 137s and the Psalm 150s that mark our life. And that is what Psalm 150, verse 6, calls forth from us even now. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are the crown of God's creation, you and I. And when we praise God now, we are preparing for our final signature act. We're showing the world the purpose of our existence, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're pointing creation to its true end, heaven and earth reunited on the holy mountain as we tremble not for fear, but for joy, abandon and praise to God. We might be weeping, my friends, on the switchback trail this morning. The Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, weeps with us and will not abandon us on the trail. He will bring us to the mountain. So do you play? You'd better play. Play for the Lord. Let us all bring to the altar what we have to give, our sufferings and our talents, our laments and our needs, our Sunday singing and our Monday working, our faith our hope, our love. Let's bring it here in praise of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. While we still have breath, let everything that has breath praise the Lord.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.